Welcome to the Riverside Church Podcast. We hope today's message encourages you and strengthens your walk with God. Enjoy the message. In fact, you can go ahead and stand to your feet as we get ready to go into the Word of God. It's something that we do, if you're willing and able, in honor of reading of God's Word. We're going to be reading um, out of Luke chapter 22, verse 7 through 16. I'm reading out of the NLT, the New Living Translation, and uh, the context for the scripture is this. We're going to be going over and we're going to be talking about the Last Supper. Can somebody say the Last Supper? And specifically, what took place before the Last Supper ever took place, where Jesus and his disciples gathered together in the upper room, and they had communion. He had shared his heart with them, and he was getting ready before he went to the cross. But we're going to be looking at what took place when it came to them looking for the room to have this special moment together, to have the Last Supper. So reading out of Luke chapter 22, verse 7 through 16. Anybody ready for the word this morning? Awesome. And if you have your phone or if you have your Bible or if you're there, say, I am there. If you need a second, you can follow along on the screen, actually. It says this, Luke chapter 22, verse 7 through 16. It says like this, now the festival of unleavened bread arrived when the Passover lamb is sacrificed. Jesus sent Peter and John ahead and said, go and prepare the Passover meal so we can eat it together. Where do you want us to prepare it? They asked him. He replied, as soon as you enter Jerusalem, a man carrying a pitcher of water will meet you. Follow him at the house he enters. Say to the owner, the teacher asks, where is the what? Guest room where I can eat the Passover meal with my disciples. He will take you upstairs to what? A large room that is already set up. That is where you should prepare our meal. They went off to the city and found everything just as Jesus had said, and they prepared the Passover meal there. When the time came, Jesus and the apostles sat down together at the table. Jesus said, I have been very eager to eat this Passover meal with you before my suffering begins. For I tell you now that I won't eat this meal again until its meaning is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Can I hear an amen from somebody? The title for this mor- morning's message is this, No Reservations. No Reservations. Let's pray together right now. Lord Jesus, every time that we gather, it's in your name, Lord Jesus, the name that is above every other name, that one day at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that you are Lord. So Jesus, we worship you this morning. We put our focus and attention on you, Lord. You are the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the Alpha, the Omega, the first and last. Lord, we worship you today. God, no matter what a person may have walked in here with God. We thank you, Lord, that you are our great high priest, Lord, that is able to relate and know exactly where we're at. So I just pray, Lord, for clarity this morning, for conviction this morning, Lord, for people's confidence to be built up, that the church will be edified, and that we would be ready for whatever you have ahead of us. In Jesus' mighty name, and somebody said, amen, amen, amen. As you're taking a seat, turn to the person next to you and say, let's get to work this morning. Let's get to work this morning. You may be seated. Thank you for standing in honor of reading of God's word. Um, well, as some of you may know, this past month, um, Brooklyn and I tied the knot and got married. She is now officially Mrs. Rivera. Come on, sweetheart. Why don't you stand to your feet? Wave at the, come on, come on, come on. I've been, this is my wife now, guys. Officially Mrs. Rivera. Awesome. 
I've seen that happen so many times. I've been to all different types of churches and conferences, and especially at the conferences, right? The pastor brings the wife, you know, and she's sitting on the front. He's like, come on, sweetheart, stand. She always stands up, and, and anyways, like, so sweet. But you saw that ring too, guys? Come on, somebody. Um, but we couldn't be more excited um, about the future. We had a wonderful wedding and uh, much needed break um, during our honeymoon. In fact, as we were, you know, planning and just dreaming about where we would go for our honeymoon, um, we dreamt about going to a place with white sand and crystal blue waters. We wanted to have a beach honeymoon. We didn't know how it was going to happen, but thank you, Jesus, that somebody blessed us with an opportunity to go to the Bahamas, and it was beautiful. It was breathtaking. It was great, and we're so thankful that we're able to go. Um, We actually stayed at this resort, And uh, before we ever went to the resort, we were making sure that we were prepared. So we looked up, like, different uh, tips and tricks and do's and don'ts on what to do uh, before you arrive or even while you're still there. And one of the suggestions that we found online was to make sure that you book a reservation for whatever restaurant you plan to eat at for dinner or supper at least one month in advance. I know, right? It's like, okay, Lord, like, I don't even know what I'm eating for for food today, you know what I mean? Like, you know what I mean? I was just like, so we went online and, um, you know, we booked it because here's the reason being, because, you know, this resort, there was a lot of other people there that wanted to eat at these restaurants. And if you waited for like the last second and you just showed up to the front person and say, hey, can we get a table? There was a high probability that they wouldn't have any space for you. They wouldn't be able to seat you and say, sorry, uh, you should have made a reservation beforehand. Um, you know, and they were so strict too that if you even missed your reservation, they would charge you a fee. So we made sure that we went online, we booked the reservations, we showed up, we ate some good food, we had a great time. Has anybody ever noticed that vacations, it seems like many times, is just eating at different places, right? Anybody's favorite part of vacation is just eating at different places, right? We had a great time together, and it was awesome. But here's the thing, we had to make reservations way ahead of time. Which brings me to the scripture, because in the scripture we just read, we find Jesus and his disciples in a dilemma. In a situation where the day before the Passover, which the Passover was the time when Jesus was destined to be crucified, it was customary for Jews to prepare and have a special meal before the Passover. And especially, and break bread together, especially in Jerusalem, thousands upon thousands of people will travel from all over for this special time of reflecting and remembering how God brought them out of Egyptian activity captivity, and he provided food. He provided manna for them while they were in the desert. And in the week of Jesus's crucifixion, it is estimated, y'all, that there were, around, there were hundreds of thousands of people in Jerusalem. Some scholars even speculate up to, uh, upwards to one million people in Jerusalem are camping around it. So you can imagine that there wasn't a whole lot of space and there wasn't a whole lot of room and Jesus didn't make reservations way in advance like Brooklyn and I did because you'll find out as you read the scripture that the day that the meal was supposed to take place, Jesus told his disciples to go and, 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 and find a place or go to prepare the meal and the disciples respond, Peter and John, they say, okay, well, Jesus, like, where do you want us to go? Has that ever happened? Has God ever spoken to you and he gives you an instruction? You're like, hey, God, how am I supposed to do that, Right. You know, where am I supposed to go? You know what I'm supposed to say? And, and he tells them, and, and I love it, because, you know, this, this isn't like today's world. Like, take in mind that back then they didn't have Applebee's and fast food like you and I have today. They had to find a room large enough to sit, and not only sit, but also prepare food 
for Jesus and his entourage of 12 other disciples. Have you ever showed up to a restaurant on a Friday evening or a Sunday after service with your family, and you have your whole family, you have your cousins, you have everybody around you, right? Or you go with, out to eat after a service, and maybe you go to Texas Roadhouse. It always happens at Texas Roadhouse for some reason, right? And you just show up, right? You didn't make a reservation, and you tell them, hey, can we get a table? And they tell you, oh, sorry, the wait's about an hour or so. So there you are scrambling, calling other places, looking around. You have to settle for Chili's or something else like that, right? Looking for a place. Can you imagine not only just trying to get a table, but trying trying to get an entire room. That's like essentially what took place. And it's just like Jesus to do something like that, to prepare and to build the faith of the disciples once again. Because you'll discover a pattern in the life of Jesus and his disciples. And it's this, that any time that they had a need and time was of the essence, Jesus would supernaturally supply that need. There was a time where, where, where Peter was stressing about, you know, how him and Jesus would have his taxes paid. And, and Jesus, knowing Peter's a fisherman, right, he tells Peter, he says, hey, I want you to go down to the lake, cast out a line, catch a fish, open its mouth, and in it you're going to find the money that we need for taxes. Don't worry, it's going to be enough. How boss is that of Jesus, right? Okay, another time, you know, even right before this, a couple days, guys, get this, a couple days before this meal even took place, Jesus knew that he was fixing to enter into Jerusalem. He's about to make his triumphant entry into Jerusalem on Holy Week, and he knew that in order to fulfill Scripture, that he would need a donkey and a colt. So Jesus sends two of his disciples ahead to a village, and he tells them that when you go to a village, you're going to find this donkey and this colt tied up. I want you to take those animals and bring them back here, and if anybody asks you what you're doing, just tell them that the Lord is in need of these animals, and guess what? Just like Jesus said, it happened. And now we find Jesus in and his disciples in a situation where they need to uh, have a place to host and have this meal. So that he tells Peter and John, he says, I want you to go into the city. And he gives them kind of vague instructions, right? He says, as you go into this city, you're going to come across a man that is carrying a pitcher of water. I want you to follow him. And whatever home he enters into, I want you to go and ask the homeowner and tell them that we're going to have dinner at that place that evening. So they follow the instructions and everything played out just as Jesus had said. And it's interesting because the disciples, the scripture doesn't record them even questioning Jesus whenever he told them to do that because they had already been conditioned beforehand to know that Jesus was a man of his word and that Jesus would supply every one of their needs. So my first question to somebody this Sunday morning is why are we so stressed out and worried and concerned about how our needs are going to be met when we serve a faithful father with the scripture says that he clothes the flowers of the field and he feeds the fowl of the air? How much more would your God take care of you? Come on, has anybody ever been in a situation? Has anybody ever been in a rock and a hard place? The bill was coming up. The mortgage was due. The rent was due. The utility bill was due. Something was about to happen. An emergency, a medical emergency came up, and you didn't know how God was going to come through. And the clock was ticking, but somehow, some way, God came through and supernaturally supplied that need that you had. Oh, come on, does anybody believe that we serve a God that is Jehovah 
Jireh. Our God will provide. I can't tell you how many times, y'all, we've had a legitimate need as a family. I've had a legitimate need as an individual, or we had a need as a church, and we didn't know how or what, or we just knew who. We just trusted in God, and we say, God, we know it as we honor you, as we put you first, and we seek first your kingdom, you're going to provide the need. And guess what? Every single time it feels like God had prepared something ahead of time. Oh, come on. I came to speak to somebody today. You feel worried and concerned and stressed out. Jesus said, why do you worry about tomorrow? Don't you know that today has enough worries within itself? But when you seek first my kingdom and my righteousness, everything else will be added unto you. Oh, come on, somebody. Who knows that when you seek God, somehow, some way, things begin to happen. God moves on people's hearts. So they're looking for a place to have a meal. They're looking for a place to have dinner. So he tells Peter and John to go, and they find and they ask this homeowner, and the homeowner allows them to use their home. I don't think that they understood how significant of an evening that it would be for them all. I really don't think, they may have thought, we're just going to have a regular meal, you know, everything's going to be good, we're going to have a good time, man, I hope they bring those cheese sticks or something, I don't know, like, hope, man, Peter makes some good fried fish, you know, I don't know, like, I don't, he told them to go and prepare a meal ahead of time, and Jesus himself, he said, I am eager, I've been looking forward to this moment to spend with y'all, because during the Last Supper, y'all, this would be the last time that Jesus would sit at a table with his disciples and give them instruction, give them encouragement, and share his heart before he ever went to the cross. During this Last Supper, this is where Jesus would humble himself by going down and showing them what a true leader does by washing the disciples' feet. During this time, this is where Jesus would have the bread and he would have the wine and they would take communion for the first time and he told them that this bread represents my body that would be beaten and this wine represents my blood that would be shed on your behalf and to do it in remembrance of me y'all this supper y'all was going to be one of the greatest meals that have ever taken place throughout all of human history but it all hinged on a man that would be willing to be inconvenienced or interrupted to make room for Jesus and his disciples We don't even know this man's name. We don't know how much of an inconvenience it was to allow them to use that space. And we know the scripture says that the room was ready and prepared. So maybe he had an inkling, he had an idea that this room was going to be need to be used by somebody or some something else, and he prepared it. We don't know if he had any other plans beforehand. We just know that with no hesitation and no reservation, he allowed Jesus to use the room, and the disciples found this room that was ready. Come on, I came to ask somebody this morning, if you want to make room, does anybody want to make room for God's presence in your life? Does anybody want to see God move in you and through you and in your family? Can I tell you the first point, and we need to understand this, it's this, that God's interruptions are invitations. God's interruptions are invitations. Anybody follow me this Sunday morning? By this man being interrupted, he had no way of knowing that he was actually being invited to have his home be hosted to you for the most, one of the most significant moments in history. 
See, because I've learned that some of God's greatest invitations show up as the biggest interruptions. Oh, I know one, if there's one thing, I know, I know many of us, we hate interruptions. So much so that I could probably go to some of y'all's homes and you have a sign in your yard, a sign on your gate, something on your door to deter people from even coming and knocking on your door because that is your property. You don't want to be interrupted and you don't want to be bothered. It's funny because, you know, I went to go visit somebody in the church's house and whenever I went to their house, y'all, guess what? They got, I got permission to share this. I found this on the door. Check this out. It says this, no soliciting, our kids spend our money, we don't want to talk politics, we found Jesus, have a nice day. <laughs> to keep, some of y'all are like, you want to have that sign now, don't you, right? But I don't know if you probably can't see it right here, it's kind of funny. Right here on the bottom, you, if you had your phone, you can zoom in on it, you can see it, it says, unless you have Thin Mints. Come on, do we have any fans of Girl Scout cookies or Boy Scout cookies or something? <laughs> so funny. Because I understand it can be annoying to be interrupted. Just the other day, me and Brooklyn were sitting down having a nice, quiet breakfast, right, babe? And as we were sitting down, all of a sudden, we hear on the door. And it was, like, pretty aggressive. I'm like, man, it's, it's in the morning. We're having breakfast, you know, having a good time. Who could that be? Open the door. A lady was visibly upset. She lives in the apartment area. And she said, I know it's one of y'all's cars. I'm like, what are you talking about? <laughs> your, your, your car, I see the apartment tag on it. You're parked in my spot. We had no idea that those spots were even reserved. Me and Brooklyn were taking two covered spots. Like, man, this is nice. We only get one covered spot, apparently. <laughs> and she says, I need you to come down and move the car right now. And she goes like that, right? You know? Y'all. I had to remind myself in that moment, I'm a pastor. I had a, you ever had to remind yourself that you're a follower of Jesus or you love Jesus sometimes? You just want to, whoo. But I was like, run myself. I said, okay, I apologize. We came down, moved the car. Everything's good. Plus, we have a Riverside Church sticker on the back of our car, so we have to represent our church well. <laughs> but who knows? It's one thing to have someone tell you to come and move your car. Or come by trying to tell you to, to, to buy something. It's a whole nother thing if someone asks you if they can use your home to prepare a meal for them and their 12 disciples. Like, I don't know about you, but if somebody came knocking on my door, hey, man, you know, all, those, all the restaurants in Victoria are packed. It's a special time. You know, we got, we got family down and everything like that. You know, we got some things happening. Is it cool if we use, like, your, your dining room? There's, like, 12 of us. That's not that much, right? Some of you, you would immediately laugh, shut the door, say something that isn't holy or something. Some of you may even call the cops or something like that. Now, this man, we don't know if he knew about Jesus or didn't. We just know that as the, they came and knocked on the door and asked if they can use the home, that he allowed them to use the room without any hesitation or any type of reservation. And my question is this morning is, are you open to God interrupting your regularly scheduled program? Are you open to God knocking on the door and saying, hey, can I use this space for a little bit? Or can I come in and make a, can, can, I, can I do something? Because can I tell you something? God will interrupt you at sometimes the most inconvenient times, but we need to understand that his interruptions are really invitations. 
I want to read a scripture y'all found in Revelations chapter 2. Revelation chapter 2, verse thir- chapter 3, verse 20. It says it like this. In these words, as you read these words in the book of Revelation, you'll discover that these words are actually written in red as if Jesus, Jesus is the one speaking in here. It says this. Look, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and we'll share a meal together as friends. In other words, what Jesus is saying is that there will be times in your life where he comes and knocks on the door of your heart so that way he can spend time with, fellowship with, speak with. And the question is, are you willing to open the door, let him in, and make the room even when it seems inconvenient? Even if you have to rearrange your schedule, even if you have to cancel a plan or do something else, are you willing to open the door for Jesus in your life? Has Jesus ever knocked on somebody's door at the most inconvenient or random times? Has God ever told you to do something or say something, or maybe for some of you, not say something at a time that it was inconvenient or it was random? Like I could share story after story with you. I felt God knocking on my door. Like, I will never forget this one time whenever I was in school, y'all. There was this girl that, you know, was an atheist, and she attacked my faith. And she would mock me and make fun of me. Felt like every single day. And I asked my parents what to do. And they said, don't repay evil with evil, right? The Bible says repay evil with good. Pray for her, love her, and and see what God will do. So I put that into practice, okay? I'm going to pray for her. And I kid you not, guys, one, one night I'm in the living room watching a movie with my mom. And as I'm watching a movie with my mom, I felt this prompting from God to go and pray for this individual. And I was like, honestly, just in the moment, I was watching the movie. I was like, God, this, this is getting to a good part right now. You know, it's like, it's a good movie, you know. And I kept on, you ever felt that tug, that pull? No, 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 no. I, and I felt it so strong. So I won't forget turning to my mom. She was on the other couch. I said, Mom. Sorry, we got to finish this movie another time. I got to go take care of something. And I won't forget walking in my room and closing the door, guys, and begin to call out her name. And I felt such a strong anointing and presence on me. And I began to speak her name out. And I began to pray in the Holy Spirit. And I began to feel like something was taking place. And the next day, I kid you not, I go to class and I sit down. And this girl walks in. The girl who would usually mock me and make fun of me sits down quiet with a a different demeanor, puts the head on, puts her head on her desk and begins to cry. And I turn around and I say, hey, what's going on? Are you good? Are you all right? She had, she proceeded to tell me how the night before happened to be the same night I was praying. She was in her room, guys, and she felt alone, depressed, discouraged. She didn't know what to do. But she said all of a sudden a presence swept into the room and she felt something that she had never felt before. In fact, when she told me what it felt like, she could only only describe it with this one word. She said, Caleb, it felt like love. It felt like love. And then, this is what God confirmed. He said, then Caleb, the God that you serve came to my mind. And I knew I had to come today 
and talk to you about what happened. And in that classroom, y'all, I was able to share the gospel with her and lead her to Jesus. And I believe it's because I was willing to be interrupted, to intercede and intervene and stand in the gap and say, God, I know I'm doing this. God, I know I got that going on. God, I know but you're more important than entertainment. You're more important than my schedule. You're more important than the program. See, you can't put God into a formula. Some of us have put God into a formula, into tradition and religion, and we have put him into a box, and we don't allow him into certain rooms, and whenever Jesus comes knocking, we shrug him off, we have a sign, and we say, God, that's a little uncomfortable. God, I don't feel like doing that, but I feel like God wants me to tell somebody that whenever Jesus comes knocking, he is looking for somebody that is willing to open the door and say, God, whatever you want me to say, I'll say. Whatever you want me to go, I'll go. Come on. God is looking for obedient people to do those things. And I can I tell you what? There's no telling what God, what God can do in you and through you whenever you have an interruption and you see it as an invitation. See, for some of you, God may be waking you up in the middle of the night at 3 a.m. and God places your grandchild or somebody on your mind and whatever it may be, a friend. Can I tell you the best thing that you can do is don't shrug off God and shut the door, but begin to get on your knees and cry out to God and call out that person's name and say, God, I don't know what they're going through. I don't know what they're wrestling with, but I pray right now in Jesus' name, I pray that you would touch them and minister to them. See, some of you, you may be in the grocery store and you may see a complete stranger. You may even be in a service, but then all of a sudden you felt like God told you to share a word of encouragement with that person. And it may seem, sm it may seem small in your eyes or maybe even to cover their groceries or pay for their meal. It may seem like an interruption can I tell you something? That interruption is nothing more than an invitation for God to move in your life. Oh, come on. Do we have any people in here that are not content with being in their comfort zone? Oh, come on, somebody. Ooh. But are willing to open the door. Somebody say open the door. Open the door. I could share story after story with you. My father could share story after story with you where there were divine interruptions in our life, but those interruptions were really invitations for God to move. But here's the second point I want to share with y'all. Anybody following along with what's being said this morning? Second point is this, that God's invitations, what do they do? They lead us to more intimacy with him. We need to understand this, that any time that God interrupts us, it's because he's inviting us or another person to be drawn into more intimacy and proximity and a closer relationship with him. We need to understand that in the culture of Jesus' day, like we read in the book of Revelation, they had a meal and everything. Like book of Revelation, he said, I want to come. I want to share a meal, open the door, right? We need to understand that in the culture of Jesus' day, to, to allow someone in your home and to sit down and share a meal with him was one of the most intimate and inviting things that you could ever do. It's one of the most intimate and invite. It signified a deepening of a friendship or a relationship or unity or intimacy. Who knows that sometimes, you know, you may not know somebody initially, but if you just go and sit down even today and share a meal with someone and have a conversation, all of a sudden the walls that were there before begin to fall down and you get to know them in a deeper way. That's why the Pharisees and Sadducees were so upset and bothered by Jesus whenever he saw, when they saw Jesus eating and drinking with the sinners, 
with the tax collectors, with the prostitutes. They even called Jesus the friend of sinners. They were upset at Jesus, but Jesus understood that by doing so, he was really reaching out to those who needed him the most and calling them to a deeper relationship with him. And what does Jesus do with the disciples? One of the last things before he ever goes on the cross, before he's ever hung up high, before he ever died for you and I, before he went through the, 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 the whipping and the, and the mockery and his clothes being stripped and being hung up high and the nails going through his hands and despising the shame, he had a meal with his disciples. He had a meal with them. He shared a meal with them. They had communion. They break the, they had communion. Can somebody say communion? Well, that's what some people call it, right? We call it communion, right? He said, hey, when you drink of this wine, when you eat of this bread, do it in remembrance of me. It was, it was an act of, of, of communion and, and unification that, guess what, even after Jesus ascended, the disciples still put into practice. And guess what? Here we are over 2,000 years later still practicing the act of communion. Why? Because we want to be intimate with our Lord. We want to be as close as we can. Share a meal with our Lord. What does intimate mean? What does intimacy look like, you may ask? Well, if I had to give you a definition or an example of what intimacy looks like, I would give you this Greek word that we find throughout Scripture. And it's this. You ready? It's called koinonia. Can somebody say koinonia? I know that's like may be hard to say, but it's just Greek word because we need to understand that even in the New Testament, majority of it, not all of it, right, it's written in Greek. Koinonia. And it's interesting because it's funny enough, this word koinonia has a threefold meaning to it. You want to know what it is? Fellowship, communion, and intimacy. Fellowship, communion, and intimacy. You may want to write that down. Fellowship, communion, and intimacy. I want to read a descriptive definition of what that word means real quick. It says this. Quinnia, to be drawn together by the intimate participation, the act of sharing intimate ideas, feelings, and even physical possessions, often used to get what, get this, used to describe what? Fellowship, prayer, and service. The process of what? Being closely acquainted with someone. See, this word right here, guys, it has so much depth and so many levels to it that we find throughout Scripture, koinonia, between even the disciples and the early church, but ultimately between them and God, right? That as their koinonia with God began to grow, the koinonia with each other began to grow, the fellowship, the relationship that they had. This word has so many levels to it that I could preach for the next hour on it and not even scratch the surface, really, when it comes to the depth of what this word means. But the point that I'm trying to get across is this, that your God wants to have an intimate, personal relationship with you. And he's inviting us each to intimacy. And many times he will use interruptions. And can I tell you something? The more time that you spend with Jesus, the more of his qualities and characteristics that you will begin to carry. That's what we call the fruit of the spirit, right? To grow, right? You will know them by their fruit. Love, joy, peace. Who wants more love in their life? Who wants to be more loving, more peaceful, more long-suffering, more patient, you know, more gentle, right? How do we do it? We spend time with our God, getting into his word, because who knows? Have you ever learned that you become more of who you hang around? 
You tell your kids all the time, right? Show me your friends, I'll show you your future. They say that you're the common denominator of your five closest friends. But, can, but do you know that God wants you to be a friend with him? And he's knocking on the door, and he wants to spend time with you in your life. Even when it seems inconvenient, he's knocking on the door because this can only happen. Koinonia, guys, can only happen when we allow God into every area of our lives. We say, God, I want to have intimacy and relationship with you. But not only that, go a step further and say, God, I want to see things. I want to see and experience you fully myself. I want to see things the way that you begin to see them. I want to begin to have your heart. David, David was a man after God's own heart. It didn't say he had God's heart. He was a man after God's own heart. And who knows, David made mistakes, right? He fell tremendously, maybe more, what some of us would say, worse than most of us. But every single time, David knew how to repent, get right with God, and get on track and say, God, I want you. It's not about perfection. It's about progression and following after him, even when it seems inconvenient. And can I tell you something real quick? The more that you be begin to spend time with God, the more you'll begin to see things in a new light and have a new, fresh perspective. In fact, let me share it with you like this. It's been said that intimacy can be said this other way. You ready? Into me see. Can somebody say that with me? Into me see. In other words, it's when you have such an intimate, close relationship with God, even when he comes knocking, and you're sensitive to his voice and the prompting, and, 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 and to where you get to a place where you make room for God, and you ask God to allow you to see and experience him fully. And what's amazing about that is that God will begin to work through you to where you'll begin to see things more and more like him. You want an example? Moses. Moses, his greatest desire was to experience and see God fully. His, his, his prayer to God was, God, I want to see you face to face. He was on Mount Sinai. He received the commands from God. He would come down, and they could tell that he was spending time with God because his face would be glowing, and he wanted to see God for himself. And God said, if I showed you fully who I am, you couldn't even handle it. You would be just pretty much obliterated. You can't handle it, Moses. So he settled for the further backside, the back of God. I want to get on to because I can, I can peel off layers off of that, what that means and everything. But he desired to see God. And the Bible says that the children of Israel saw the acts and deeds of God, but Moses knew the ways of God. The children of Israel knew the acts and deeds. They saw it, but Moses, Moses knew the ways. Why? Because of intimacy with God. And because he had intimacy with God, he began to have the insight that God had. And he began to see things in a new perspective. But guess what? How the intimacy happened? With an interruption. Moses was tending the flock, taking care of the sheep, running away from what God had really called him to do to set the people free. And he felt something, but he went about it his own way. He ended up murdering an Egyptian. He goes, gets married. But one day, as he's tending to the flock, 
God appears to him in the form of a burning bush, interrupts his entire life, and he says, Moses, I've called you to go to Pharaoh and tell him to let my people go. Moses, what do you say? He's saying, I'm not, I'm not eloquent of speech, so I, I can't do this. That right there, guys. Oh, man, I want to go. I'll go a little further. Moses, even before, get this. Moses, even before he appeared to Pharaoh, you know, the scripture says that he spent time practicing and doing the signs and miracles privately with God beforehand when it came to the staff and everything else. He spent time one-on-one with God. He had insight that no, he wrote the first five books in the Bible. He wrote Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. He wrote those five. He had insight. Why? Because he had intimacy with God. There's going to be times in your life where you're going to have to tell some other people when they ask you to do something at a certain time, but you feel a drawing to spend time with God. And you don't have to tell them all the details. You can say, no, I'm unavailable. I got to go take care of something. But in private, you're seeking God. And the Bible says that whatever, the Bible says that the Lord is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. My Bible says that when you draw near to God, that he will draw near to you. And as you spend time with God, and it may take some time, you may have to wait at times. You may have to just continue to worship. But can I tell you something? The more time that you spend with your God, the more that God will see. Some of us, we want our situation to change with when it comes to prayer. But could it be possible that God just wants to change you first? to where you see things in a new light. Oh, come on. Does anybody in here want to have intimacy with God? Because God's greatest invitations to intimacy are often disguised as interruptions. Haley, you can come up. My gosh. You know, I shared this with somebody this past week. When you think about the life of Moses... It's beautiful because this just shows God's grace and mercy and love. Moses, he wanted to see God face to face. He wanted to go into the promised land, right? But when God instructed him to speak to the rock, he struck the rock out of anger. And because of his anger, God didn't allow him to enter into the promised land. And he died with his generation. But your God is so graceful and so merciful that guess what? When Jesus was with Peter, James, and John, and he goes to the Mount of Transfiguration on a mountaintop, he takes his three disciples. Jesus, the visible image of an invisible God, God in the flesh, God incarnate, Jesus Christ, the Messiah, Messiah, the Christ, the anointed one, Jesus transfigures. And in that moment, they see him, not just as what they see here on the earth, but they see Jesus in his full glory and power. And the Bible says that Moses and Elijah are there within Israel. Elijah representing the, law, representing the prophets, Moses representing the law, and guess what? Now Moses is in the promised land, and he's seen God face to face. You may have followed God your entire life. You may have felt like you've fallen off and you've gotten off track. 
I don't know. I'm just in my holy imagination. I think Moses in heaven. I think of Moses in heaven being told, Moses, they need you down there. I'm doing this right now. You see what's going on? I don't know. What it Coming down. And Moses' greatest desires are being fulfilled, I believe, in that moment. It's never too late to draw near to God. Here's my conclusion. That God's greatest in, in, invitations to intimacy are often disguised as the biggest interruptions. I wonder what was going through the homeowner's mind as he maybe heard them talk or maybe glimpsed in every once in a while to see what was taking place with Jesus and the disciples. He may not even, even have known. The Bible doesn't even mention his name. That it was We would be preaching and talking about this today. I bet you he was thinking, I'm thankful I didn't turn them away. I'm thankful I didn't close the door. And I say that to say this. Let us never think that we are so busy or that we have God all figured out that we don't open the door whenever he comes knocking. Because guess what? Jesus, God, he wants to have intimacy and fellowship with you. Mary and Martha, this came to me last service. Mary and Martha, they had Jesus over to the home, right? Mary was sitting down, conversing, talking with Jesus. Martha was busy, maybe in the kitchen, around the home, sweeping, mopping, cleaning, like getting everything ready. He's here, he's here, he's here, he's here. Getting mad at Mary. Mary, you know? And Jesus said, she's doing, Mary, Jesus said, Martha? Mary's doing what's most important, spending time with me. Which we have to make room. You may feel like your house is a mess. You may feel like your, your home, your temple is dirty or whatever it is. Don't let that stop you from spending time with him. It doesn't matter how far you may have gone, how many mistakes you may have made. Jesus is knocking. Jesus is is moving our God is still alive and the question is are you willing to open the door because those interruptions are nothing more than invitations and those invitations lead us to more intimacy with him does anybody want to have more intimacy with God in their life does anybody want to see things the way that God sees come on stand to your feet I feel God's presence I feel his anointing revelation thank you Lord huh. I want to speak to somebody in this place, first of all, because some of us, we're so busy. We're so busy. We have so much. You know, if the enemy can't make you bad, he'll make you busy. He'll try to make you, I don't have no time for you. Make room for God and see what will happen. Open the door and see what will happen. So right now, in Jesus' name, I'm going to pray over every person right now underneath the sound of my voice, God, that feels the weight and worries of life, God, that may feel like they have no time, God, or whatever else. I thank you, Lord Jesus, that we are never too busy to spend time with you. So right now, in this moment, we repent, Lord Jesus. Forgive us, Lord God, for not giving you the attention and time and intimacy in the koinonia that you are worthy and deserving of, God. Right now, in Jesus' name, I pray right now, God, that as you call us, Lord Jesus, as you knock on the door, 
door, that we're going to open the door, God, no matter the situation or circumstance. So right now, come on, maybe you're watching online and you've never taken that first step to get, make Jesus Christ Lord over your life. The Bible says that he is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the only way to heaven. He is the only way. It's through Jesus Christ right now. Make him Lord of your life. Say, Lord Jesus, forgive me. Jesus, I believe that you are Lord. Jesus, I believe that you died and you rose. I confess with my mouth. I believe in my heart. Jesus, I put you on the throne of my heart right now in Jesus' name. Come on, in your own way, begin to say that prayer. Come on, right now in Jesus' name. I thank you, Lord, right now that you're lifting up worry and anxiety and depression, Lord, and all those things. Why? Because we're making you priority. We're making your presence, Lord, priority. Let us never, let us do it without hesitation or reservation. No reservations. No reservations. No more holding back anymore. In Jesus' name, we pray right now. If you receive that, can somebody say amen? Thank you for listening to today's message. If you liked what you heard, be sure to subscribe and share it with a friend. For more information about who we are, visit RiversideChurchTX.com.